0: Alright, well thank you guys, that's, that's some awesome words that we get to sing this morning, awesome worship we get to um, participate in this morning, so thank you for serving us in that way, um, I'm tremendously blessed by it. Alright, well here we are, back in Galatians, we're talking about a slave's guide to the free life, and we've seen various forms of slavery that um, we've talked about in Galatians, we're going to continue in that theme Today, all right? So let's start this way. Um, we all see the world a little bit differently, right? So, I mean, I've always been fascinated by the thought that I see the world differently simply based on my height from someone who is much taller than I am, right? Like, someone who's really tall, they literally see the world differently. Like, they see the tops of people's heads. I never see the tops of people's heads. It's just that it's not what I see, right? Um, yeah, and there's just terrible jokes that you have to live with. I know, it's, it's, it's the rough life. Um, we all have a different outlook on life, right? And so our different outlook on life is shaped by different things. Um, so you could say, for example, someone who has spent their life being mistreated by their family, mistreated by the people around them, um, you know, like they might have a more negative take on humanity than someone who has grown up in trusting relationships and loving relationships. And their outlook on life is impacted by that, right? So like for me, when we were, you know, I was in Wheaton, you know, went to Wheaton College. Um, I used to leave my computer in the library um, and go to lunch and just leave it there. Go to lunch and get my lunch and come back and, and it'd be there and it was fine, right? And then I went to Jerusalem and, you know, people had their backpack in their office and computers were going missing from their backpack in the office and and you just start to see things a little bit differently and you start, you know, it it impacts how you live, it impacts how you treat people, it impacts how you act, right? So I say all that to ask this question, what impacts your outlook on life? So for you personally, is there an experience, is there something about who you are that impacts how you see the life around you? This is kind of like a just throw out idea. So what do you guys think? What impacts the way you see life? The way you dress? The way you dress? Yeah. Okay, yeah, great. And you might actually take it one step further is why do you dress the way you dress? Because that's that's really defining it. Like, Because you want to look good. Okay, good. So the desire to look good impacts what you do, okay? At least... So how you've been treated in your life. Right. So that's one thing that's going to impact our outlook on life. Anything else? What impacts your outlook on life? How many things have been
1: handed to you
0: or how many things have had to work for? Okay. Yeah. Kind of like, have you grown up in affluence? Have you grown up with a lot of things that were just provided for you? Have you had to work your whole life to get whatever it is you have? It's going to impact the way you view life. What else? Right. So like yourself, what you think of yourself, your self-confidence, you know, your uh, self-esteem, that's going to impact the way you see life. Anything else? Going up on a farm in the city? Right. Are you a farm girl, you a city girl, right? Farm boy, city boy. Or okay? Even exposure to uh, Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anything else? much news you consume you feeding yourself from the world's perspective. Yeah. Okay. Good. No one's mentioned race. You're white. You're black. You're mixed. You're Indian. You're um, any of these things. That's going to affect the way you see the world, right? A black person in America is going to view the world differently than a black person in Africa, right? Minor- are you the minority? Are you the, in the majority? Yeah? Are Good. Yeah, your upbringing and all that stuff. Okay, so listen to this quote. This is a quote from a guy named J.I. Packer, and he says this. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out. Whoops, you know what? I've got it on here, so let me go ahead and give it to you. All right, here we go. Um, So you can follow along on the screen. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. If if the thought that you are God's son or that you are God's daughter and that God is your father does not prompt and control your worship, your prayers, and your whole outlook on life, it means that you do not understand Christianity very well. So right from the get-go, would you say that you understand Christianity very well based on that statement? Would you say that your whole outlook on life is determined by the fact that you are a child of God more than anything else? Something for us to think about today. Right. So let's think about that for a minute. When you look in the mirror and you don't see uh, maybe what you'd want to see, do you take comfort in the fact that you are a beloved child of God and that he's made you this way? When you walk into school or look for a seat at lunch, can you do so with peace in your heart knowing that you are loved and accepted by God and that that is the most important thing in life? When you think about the future, And the uncertainty of the future, can you think about it with peace, knowing that you are God's beloved child and he loves to take care of you and do what is best for you? And when you pray, do you pray knowing that God listens and hears every word that comes from your lips as a loving father listens to his children? Is your whole outlook in life controlled by the thought that God is your father? Well, the answer is probably not as much as it should be, at least, right? I know that for me, it's not as much as it should be. So let's ask this. Why is it difficult for us to let this thought control our outlook on life? Why is it difficult for us to think of God as Father and have that control all aspects of life? What do you guys think? Yeah? There is a perceived or a felt distance, isn't there? Right, which which is a problem in real families. You know, if, if dad's absent from the family, it's really hard to have that good relationship with dad. Right, and we can feel that way with God because we don't interact with God in the same way that we interact with our real fathers. Right, we don't come home and he's standing there. Right, we don't pick up the phone and call him and he talks back to us. So that can make it difficult. Good. Anything else? There's
1: an element of maturity where you're growing up and, and leaving your mother and father to on your own, so that, that independence, I think, gets in the way of relying on God as
0: Father. Well. Yeah, so especially at this age, we, we, we're working on this concept that I'm learning how to live on my own apart from mom and dad, right? Which is a good thing, because we don't want you living in your parents' basement when you're 25 years old. That, that's not good, all right? But... It's this idea that if we transfer that into our relationship with God, that like, oh, I'm also growing up from this relationship and I can do things independently and I can make up my own mind and I don't need the church to tell me what to think and I don't need the Bible to tell me what to think. Well, now that's getting pretty dangerous. We actually should be, we, sh- we should, you know, Jesus commended those who had childlike faith. He commended those who acted like children in their faith towards God from day one until day they were 100 years old. That there's something commendable about being like a child with the Father. Good. Anything else? You want to be in control of your life, you not have like who makes things like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we want control over our lives, and so you know, to think of God as our Father, we're yielding control to Him to tell us what to do and what you know is best for our life. Good. Another thing you might say is you might say, "Well, I don't really have a great relationship with my dad." My dad wasn't really there. Right? I didn't even know my dad. Right? How am I supposed to know God as my father when I don't really even know my own father? And that can present a hurdle for us. It's hard for us to get over that in our relationship with God. So I want us to look at Galatians 4, 1 through 7 today. All right? So open your Bibles to Galatians 4, 1 through 7. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and grab one now. Uh, there's a couple over there still. So Galatians 4, 1 through 7, and you'll notice that this is the end of the passage that we talked about last week. So last week we kind of traced this big argument that Paul's making from verse 15 of chapter 3 all the way through verse 7 of chapter 4, and yet there's a lot of grace in chapter 4 that we don't want to miss out on, so we're going to focus on chapter 4 here. All right, so we're in Galatians chapter 4. a reminder i'm asking you to open the word that god has given us as the means of life for eternal life for our souls so let's make sure we're opening it make sure we're there so galatians chapter 4 verses 1 through 7 says this i mean that the heir here we're talking about someone who inherits um, the belongings of their father so the heir as long as he is a child is no different from a slave though he is the owner of everything but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So remember, we're talking about, this is what we said was Mary Poppins last week, right? You're like Mary Poppins, okay? No, you're not like Mary Poppins. You're like the kids that Mary Poppins is taking care of. Mary Poppins is the law, okay? So even though you are going to inherit everything, so long as you're a child, you're actually like a slave because you're still growing up under your guardian and manager until the date set by your father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now I wanted to stop and I want us to look at this passage because in this passage is what one, uh, you guys heard the name Tim Keller. He says this is the crowning achievement of the Christian life. This is the crowning gift of God for the Christian that we would be called Sons of God. And so we need to understand what exactly that means. So let's start, and we're going to do it in three points here. Um, We all start as slaves. So in Paul's day, it's helpful for us to understand what Paul's talking about here. So let's go back to Paul's day. In Paul's day, rich fathers would give their whole inheritance to the oldest son. Okay? So that if you're the firstborn son, you would get your father's. Inheritance, which means that from the moment that that son was born, they were destined to own the family riches. But he's not going to give a little baby all of his money, right? He's not going to write a check for a million dollars and hand it to a baby, or to a six-year-old, or even to a 14-year-old. So there's a time set when the son actually gets the inheritance. And until that time comes, the son lives like Jane and Michael under Mary Poppins, right? That they are like slaves in their own house, in a sense, where they're being raised by the managers and the guardians that the father would pay to raise his children. And until the day that the father says, now you get the inheritance, they had actually very little authority in the household. And so Paul is taking this concept that all sons started as slaves, And he's saying that this is true for the sons of God as well. Now, I keep using the word sons, and I know that you girls don't go by sons, that you go by daughters, and I'm going to explain why, because it's important that we understand that all of us are sons of God in just a minute, okay? So, first of all, we too are slaves when we come into this world. First of all, we're slaves to God's laws. We try to obey God's laws in order to be righteous, But we can't stop sinning. And so we prove that we are slaves to our sin. But second, we become slaves to our own laws. So all of us, we live life setting up certain laws for ourselves. Okay, And these laws are the laws that we basically would say, if I live by these laws, then it's going to bring me life. It's going to make me feel loved. It's going to make me feel accepted. It's going to make me happy. These laws are going to keep away pain from my life. And we all, from day one, we set up these laws, okay? So as a little baby, it starts off with things that are shiny, right? Little toys, little shiny objects, and as a little kid, you go, you want those things, right? And you can't communicate, so you scream until you get it, because this is what's going to make me happy in life, is having the shiny ring or the watch or whatever it is that you want. And as you get older, it moves to candy right? So as, as a kid, you just get candy, get candy, get candy, get candy, get candy. Candy's going to make me happy. There's a Seinfeld sketch uh, uh, where he does a comedy routine, and he just talks about how like kids are just like candy-loving morons. And, and you know, they go up, they, they go up to a stranger, a stranger walks up to him, and, and you know, your parents tell you, don't take the candy, he's going to kidnap you, he's going to take you away, and they say, I don't care, he has a candy bar, I have to take that risk. You know, there's the, you know, he has candy, get the candy, right? And Halloween is when we think about candy, and as a kid, what do you do? You go out, you get like a whole punch bowl of candy, you eat all that candy in the one night, and you feel fantastic, right? You don't don't feel that good as an adult doing that, but as a kid, you can consume incredible amounts of candy. And as you grow up, you get older, and it moves to the law of popularity, right? So get popular, get praise from people, all right? Look good in other people's eyes, and so we'll do anything to become Um, Popular, whether it's in our own eyes or in other people's eyes. So we'll change what we wear. We'll change um, our groups of friends. We'll change our hairstyles. We'll join the football team, even though we've never lifted a weight in our life because we know that football players are popular. And we'll maybe even go down the path of smoking and drinking and hanging out with people who do because these are the things that are going to make me popular. So we live by this law of get popular because it's going to make me happy and and take away the pain of unpopularity. Then as you get older, it moves on to money. It moves on to power. It moves on to prestige. Which college are you going to go to? Which job are you going to get? And we do whatever we can to live by these rules that we think will make us happy. And at the end of the day, we're slaves because we're not happy. Because we can never live up to what popularity demands of us. We can never live up to what our desires demand of us, what they command us to do. And instead of um, living a truly happy uh, life, instead of living a truly worthwhile life, we just get more and more pain because our identity is wrapped up in what other people think of us. And it's like this black hole that we just keep throwing everything we are into, and we can never get a leg up. We can never get satisfied. And so we find that we are slaves. We're slaves to those around us. Always trying to be what we never will be. Just like a son is a slave in his own home until the appointed time when the father decides to give him his inheritance. Now the truth is that even for those of us who have accepted Christ, even those of us who have become Christians, we still live this way. Or at least we tend to live this way. Even after choosing Christ, it's easy to go back to the temptations to live according to these laws. But the good news is that the time appointed by the Father for you to receive your inheritance has come. And it's come for you in Jesus Christ. So in verses 4 and 5, we see this truth. We see that we've been redeemed and adopted. And there's really two images that are going on here. First of all, Paul is finishing this idea that we're slaves. And as slaves... The only way that you could live the free life is if somebody came and they paid your cost and they bought you back from your slavery because slaves are just property. You're owned by someone, okay? And so the time has come for you to be bought back. And the way it's come is through Jesus Christ. So Jesus redeems us and pays our cost for us. How does he do that? Well, back in chapter 3, we read that cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. So our cost in not living up to God's law is that we are cursed, that we deserve hell, that we deserve punishment, that we deserve God's wrath. But it goes on to say, but cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So Jesus Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So we've been redeemed. We are slaves who've been bought back by Jesus because he died for us in order to redeem us, in order to buy us back. Okay, so we are slaves that have been redeemed. But we don't stop there. There's an observation that was made that was really helpful for me, which is this, as Christians, we tend to make a lot of redemption, Right? We make a lot of this idea that my sins have been forgiven. My sins have been paid for. I've been redeemed from hell. I've been redeemed from death. But the reality is that's not the end of the gospel. The crowning achievement of the gospel is not just that you've been redeemed, which is an amazing thing, but that you have been adopted as a son of God. Okay, so it's not just that your slate has been wiped clean. It's not just that he's counted you righteous and now you have to live your own righteous life to make up for you know, what you used to be. No, he has adopted you as a son and Paul is drawing from another old uh, thing that was happening in his day there and it was this idea that if a wealthy man had no sons, where would his inheritance go to? He has to give it to somebody. And if he has no sons, it has to go to someone. So what a wealthy man would do back in Jesus' day and Paul's day is that he would take his most trusted slave. And he would take that slave and he would adopt that slave as his son. And that slave would become a son and would be the one to inherit all of the riches of the wealthy man's kingdom. Now if you think about that, the slave would have gone from being in the house and being told what to do and commanded what to do and would have no voice and would have to Mm -hmm. obey his master to being able to be the one who was walking around the house giving orders to the other slaves. That slave would go out to the market and he would be nothing but a slave. Nobody would notice him. He'd go about his business and he wouldn't get in anyone's way. But the second he was adopted, now everyone would know him as this wealthy man's son. And out in the marketplace, he would be recognized, and he would have honored, and he would have prestige that everyone would recognize purely because he was a son of this wealthy man. So he had been adopted and would have all of the authority, both inside the house and outside the house, of his wealthy adopted father. And the reality is, for Christians, we haven't just been redeemed from our sin, but we've been adopted into God's family. And when I say that we are all God's sons, what I'm saying is the oldest son inherited everything the wealthy father had. And so we all, guys, girls, men, women, are the eldest son in God's eyes. Kind of like we're all called the bride of Christ, right? So even guys have to be able to relate to the fact that we are the church, the bride of Christ. And that Jesus is our perfect husband who loves us and pursues us and gives his life for us. So the girls here, I'm encouraging you to see, you are a son of God in the sense that you will inherit all that God has promised for you in Jesus Christ. Okay, so we're all God's sons. And when we think of the Christian life, um, oops, I already said that. Uh, Yeah, so we are all sons of God. So let's think about this. It's helpful for me to think about how a good family works, okay? In a good family, a father won't say to his children, I love you and accept you, but you must earn your inheritance from me. Right? Like, I love you, Latham, but we'll talk in 25 years and seeing if you've done all your chores and gotten A's on your grades and and you made it into the college that I want you to make it into, then we'll talk about whether or not you're going to inherit anything. That's not how a good family works, is it? Right? A father loves his children, and they get his inheritance simply because they are his children. And it's the same way with us in Christ, in God, right? That in Christ, we are Jesus' brothers. And so our inheritance of God's blessing, of his acceptance of us, of his looking at us and seeing Jesus' righteousness for us, it's unconditional. There's nothing we can do to lose it if we're in Jesus Christ. Now, I know that this is kind of heady theological stuff, so let's watch a video that's going to help us maybe a little bit more to perceive this, okay? Over
1: right
0: here. little this What did you want to see? This trip has been three
1: and a half years in the making.
0: We thought by leaving to adopt, it seems like forever,
1: but it's now. No. The one baby, trip, anything you are bringing. We are adapting because it, the reason now is different than the reason why we started it. Tomorrow we fly to Ethiopia. We'll get on and think lunchtime, and we fly until midnight. Isn't that crazy? when we started the process, we had a desire to do it, not really necessarily on why, but in the end, I think for us, we want, we're adopting because that adoption is such a clear vivid picture of the gospel. Where we had no inheritance and we have nothing that God wants us into his family and for sons and daughters. We're doing it. are on the adoption is, is exactly that. ready? The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. As it is written, really, none is righteous. No, not one.
0: No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside Together they have become worthless. No one good. Not even Mm one. We just got off
1: the plane here in Ethiopia and we learned that we have the opportunity to go meet her daughter right now. This this little girl has no idea uh, who she's meeting today, but obviously we're meeting her daughter that God has ordained. For a while we were still weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For a while we'll scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if all we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Check with your camera. Lily and Ellie, you know, and give birth to her. Um, and that's something really special because she has nothing right now. Luckily, she doesn't remember those things. She was too young. Right. Um, I'm glad to be a part of our family. She had a little sister
0: His son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of the Son into our hearts, crying, out Abba Father, so you are no longer a slave but a son, and a son and an heir through God. So put the ball in. Okay. <laughs>
1: Guest house, you know, suddenly there was a, a, a love for this child, and I believe that's from the Lord. He's given us stewardship over her, responsibility over her. The beautiful part of it is also given us a love for her, and uh, I, I praise the <laughs> That's the faintest cry I've ever seen. Before. I feel privileged that um, God selected us for this task because it's amazing and hard and. Probably put us through like the most challenging times, but it's worth it, you know. I you mean, do. I do. Do. And I know that the adoption of, of us into God's family was costly. I mean, class-y.
0: Yeah. All right. When we see that, when we see that video, um, my hope is that when you see that, you don't just see an inspiring story of two parents who went overseas and, and adopted a little baby who needed a family that didn't have a family. My hope is that when you see that story, that you recognize that you are that baby, that you are that orphaned child who has no parents, who has very little hope for life, who's helpless and in need of being rescued, and that God came and rescued you and adopted you into his family. And the main difference between this video and what God has done is that in order for God to come and adopt and rescue you, he had to give up his only beloved son. He gave up the heir He gave him over to the cross and to death so that he could adopt you and make you part of his family. And the awesome thing is that death could not hold Jesus because he was perfect in the life that he lived. So his perfection allowed him to be resurrected so that we are co-heirs with Christ. He is our brother. That we have all the benefits that Jesus gets in being God's son. So I want to talk for just a minute of what that benefit is, the benefit of being God's son. As we finish this passage, we see in verses 6 through 7, Paul says this, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This word, Abba, is a word that children use to address their fathers. I've heard it living in Jerusalem. I remember the first time I heard it, I couldn't believe that I was actually hearing it in in its proper context. I was getting off a plane and there was a little Jewish girl talking to her daddy saying, Abba, 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 trying to get his attention. And that's the word that Jesus uses. In the Garden of Gethsemane in Mark 14, 36, Jesus cries out to God in his hour of need by saying, Abba, Abba father. He calls him daddy. And what Paul is saying is that because of what Jesus has done for us, we can say the same thing to God. That we don't have to say, oh most holy and illustrious God, I, I, I have no right to come before you. We can say, daddy, I need help. Daddy, I need you. Daddy, show me you love me. We can be as close to God as Jesus was, because God, when he looks at us, he sees Jesus in us. Jesus' righteousness is our righteousness. Daddy is probably the best word that I hear on a regular basis. When I drive home, I open the garage door, I pull into the garage, and before the door is even open to the house, I can hear little Autumn saying, Daddy, 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 from the other side of the door. I love my children, and I love the instant when I walk into my family day after day, and I get to see them come running into my arms, and I get to hug them and kiss them, and they didn't have to do anything to earn that love. They don't have to approach me with a list of chores that they completed while I was gone in order for me to pick them up and hug them and kiss them. And I give it freely, even when they've been bad, even when they've been disobedient, especially when they've been bad and disobedient, I assure them of my love for them. And I give it at any time that I can. There isn't a, a time limit on their love. So when there's thunder in the middle of the night and they come up and they wake me up, the love is there for them. When I'm serving communion, which just happened just the other day, I'm serving communion and Latham comes running in and grabs me by the legs, that's okay. Right. Most people would think like this is a sacred thing. We can't, you know. But, I, my love for him was the same in that moment as it was in every other moment. And I really, um, I, I don't say this to give a picture of me as some perfect father because I certainly am not. Um, there are times when I feel too busy for them. There's times when I feel uh, frustrated and irritated. So I am not the perfect father. But the illustration would be. If even an earthly father loves his children this way, how much more so would God love you? If my kids can treat me this way, how much more so is God patient and loving and accepting of you? So God is our perfect father, and if you have accepted Jesus, you are his son. To inherit all the blessings that Jesus bought for you, He's always loving, always forgiving, and always giving us exactly what we need in order to be in a right relationship with him. So today I have two questions to end with. First one is this. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your savior? Have you accepted the fact that he has extended this opportunity for you to be in the family of God? I was talking to Todd Walker earlier this week, and he made the comment, which is a true comment, that it's not like we're batting a thousand with the youth ministry. In other words, there's plenty of examples of people who have come out of the youth ministry of Grace Church of DuPage and ended up not being a Christian and not following Jesus. I know names. Maybe you know names. And I'm not saying that I'm expected to do that, that we're expected to do that, But but don't think that just because you're sitting here you've got it all figured out and you've got it made. This is a relationship that's offered to you in Christ, but it's something that you have to accept. The world loves to say we're all children of God. We're all children of God, and in a sense we are in that he's created each one of us. But we are not all sons of God. That to be a son of God and inherit the blessings that he offers to us, it's only available in accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So the first question is that have you accepted Jesus as your savior and if not what's keeping you from making that decision if you can't answer that question why don't you do that today why don't you make sure that you are in the family of God because he freely offers it to you and you don't have to do anything in order to receive it the second question I would ask is this am I acting like a slave who is afraid of God or like a child who is assured of my father's love? On my daily interactions with the Lord, in my day-to-day walk, am I acting more like a slave who's afraid of God or like a child who is assured of God's love? Does my whole outlook on life depend on the fact that God is my father and I am his child, and I know that I am perfectly loved and accepted as God's child, do I live like I'm a slave, that I have to somehow earn that love, that I have to do something in order for God to accept me? So we need to bring what is true in theology into truth with what real life looks like. In other words, we need to bring what we know about God, that he adopts us and accepts us, and we need to start living that out. Okay, so we need to live as people who are accepted in the Father's love. Any? I'm going to close here, but are there any questions... I can answer as we go on here. Any questions on um, how this happens, what this means for me, what this verse means, what this text means? All right. If you want to accept Jesus as your Savior, talk to me. I'd love to talk to you about that if you haven't done that. Let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for this truth that we have been adopted as sons into your kingdom. That at your gracious hand await us the riches of the inheritance of Christ. That today we can experience a relationship with you that allows us to cry out to you, Daddy, Abba, Father. And to know that you hear us and you receive us as you hear and you receive your perfect son, Jesus Christ that there's nothing we need to do or can do in order to earn this from you. It's freely given to us by your grace. Jesus, we thank you that you have given your life, that you've stepped down from your position in heaven next to the Father in order to incorporate us into the family of God, that we might be your brother because you gave your life for us, that you redeemed us from the curse of the law, from hell and from death, By becoming a curse for us. And I pray in particular, Lord, for those who have yet to receive this um, great crowning achievement that you offer freely to us. I pray that you would expose whatever idols or whatever sins keeps them from accepting this, whatever hindrances or false theology that keeps them from this, and give them the grace to accept it freely and join the family of God. And I pray for those of us who have joined the family of God that you would help us to live it out, that we would know you as our beloved Father and that we are your beloved children and that there's nothing we can do to lose your love, there's nothing we can do to lose our relationship with you. Help us to start living that way, allowing our entire life, our entire outlook on life to be shaped and framed by the fact that we are children of God and that you are our Father. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Make sure you bring a friend on uh, Wednesday. Look forward to seeing everyone there.